0: In the 2003 SDCF Symposium panel, entitled New Writers, New Worlds, leading playwrights and directors discuss the challenges of creating relevant contemporary plays and musicals, and they examine new trends in playwriting and the multicultural voice in the theater. Moderated by Mary Catherine Burke, this panel features artists Christopher Ashley, Joe Bonney, Jorge Cortinas, Susan Einhorn, Leah Gardner, David Henry Wong, David Warren, and Les Waters. The following program is a recording of the conversation that took place. Hello, I'm SDC Director Daniel Sullivan, and you are listening to Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by SDCF and the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. So the,
1: the topic is the new writing, new world, and it's kind of in, in the description of the in
2: your brochures very vast description. So I want to just kind of start off with one of the questions that was actually addressed in uh, the brochure, which is, do you, as the, do you as the panel feel that um, the theater being produced today reflects the lives and faces of American society?
1: So <laughs> <laughs> we start off? Just jump right in there. <laughs> I'm scared of that question. <laughs> yeah. And why
3: are you scared of that one? That's, that's sort of a joke. I, mean, um, I think it's our responsibility to make sure that it does, and to sort of in any way say that it does, it always seems like a kind of uh, you know defeatist whining, uh, which is not to say that there aren't always challenges. Um, I think that's our responsibility, and I think it does to an extent. Uh, do I see every? Do I see America in every play that I see, or even in the majority of the plays that I go to see? Probably not, but uh, you know, I think that becomes then our problem. We as artists, yeah. and, and, and certainly as directors, to kind of because uh, I think a writer can wake up. Uh, that's the difference between being a, an interpretive artist and being a, an artist like a writer. An artist can wake up and say, "I'm going to write a play about uh, you know my world, about what, about the questions that I'm asking about the world." Uh, we sort of have to wait for somebody to ask us to do something about that thing. So I suppose as directors, it um, becomes a responsibility to kind of question the significance of the material that we're asked to do or that interests us, and, and just see that maybe the, the world becomes, um, that more questions about the world are answered then. So i answer that.
2: What's the right, David, what is um, I mean, I
3: think that I think it depends how you define the theater. First of all, I mean, the, the theater exists on many different levels, from sort of extremely kind of commercial and and Broadway and everything uh, to uh, more the smaller spaces, more experimental work. And clearly, when you get to work which doesn't require uh, a, a large audience in order to be economically sustainable, then you have work that's more diverse um, and. You know, my career started out in a lot of smaller theaters, and particularly uh, some ethnic-specific theaters that were doing work that just wouldn't be produced by uh, commercial producers. When you get to the more sort of commercial realm, I feel like producers are tending, or probably produce what they think the let's talk about Broadway, the Broadway audience wants to see uh, shows that reflect that particular demographic, and uh, which you know accounts for a certain limitation of. Uh, subject matters and and aesthetics on Broadway, but it's not, that of course is not limited to theater, I mean in a way it always seems weird to me, the television which one would think would have to be the most populous form, it doesn't reflect the lives of America either so
4: so it's a problem that's sort of endemic to the larger society as well Uh, In terms of the institutions um, the theater institutions that could get behind a more diverse um, theater I think a lot of people put money into development and readings and workshops. I think the trick in many of these situations is to then get the work into a theater season. So I see a lot of work being done on readings and workshops all the time. But it's sometimes it feels a little like tokenism, that there's one piece that might make it into the season, but the bulk of the season is going to be by, uh, by a world of playwrights. You know, and classics that are more generally known. So I think the trick is how to move beyond people's good intentions into the reality of how this work gets produced. I think it's there, intentions are good, but I think there's a lot of talk about something that actually is uh, not as realized
5: as it might be. I guess I wanted to just pick up on what David said. I think I disagree absolutely that it's our responsibility to create the most diverse theater. In some ways, I feel like it's the artist's responsibility to create the work that interests them the most. And that probably creates theater that's really heavy on gay men's lives, Jewish (laughs) people's lives, and British people's lives. But uh, (laughs) I, I, I feel like the times when I've thought like, oh, this will be good for the world because it's broadening the canon in some way, and I wasn't interested or like enough in it. I did my worst work. And times when I was like, "Does the world need this?" I don't know, but I need it. I always did my best work. Uh, and I think as like a producer, I would totally. I feel like their part of their responsibility is: Are we representing the world in a diverse enough way? And in some ways, I feel like as a director, I get to be tunnel vision to just say like, what, "What's fascinating to me?"
1: Yeah, I guess.
3: Crossfire. I, I, I sort of did, I, and I'm on the left.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I sort of take it as a given that I would only do something that actually speaks to me. But I also think, I, mean, I, I know, like, you know, I've done a national tour, and I, I do ask myself these I, I do ask myself questions. I mean, is this something that I want to send out? into America, or is it something that I don't? And I, and I think I don't think the two are mutual. I, I, I think you. I think the ideal is a kind of balance between response, social responsibility, and you know, real kind of artistic vision, which is sort of selfish in word and personal. It has to be. So I, I, I know what you're
5: saying.
3: We'll you Chris. <laughs> <I'll be> back. <laughs> I think that's great but i want to bring back what david was saying because there is this reality uh there's this reality of north american apartheid and it does organize the way our cities and culture uh organized who gets resources and i'm always shocked that in cities that are populated by a majority of people of color uh i can still get a mailer from a theater and it is a season that is entirely by white playwrights and white directors. And I I could not throw a dinner party and have only white people show up. That could not happen by accident. I could not do that even on purpose. I wouldn't know who to invite. And so I think what we're really looking at is that there, there's a class of artistic directors and producers uh, who are not representative, who have real power in terms of resources. And frankly, that, that class needs to be opened up um, and because uh joe's exactly right there's a two-tier uh level of resource allotment in theater today and uh consistently artists of color uh, primarily but not only also experimental artists uh artists doing edgy stuff and it you know even gang stuff if it's uh, particularly edgy it's going to get relegated to a, a a workshop zone and never be allowed to move beyond that <laughs> and that's that's a problem that uh uh, Is a bigger problem than just what we as artists in particular choose to do. Absolutely, I work on things that turn me on, and not things that don't to me personally. I think that's the way it should be. I think that's also, um, I mean, just sort of outside of the economics of, of theater, sort of outside of uh, as artists a uh, desire to kind of do uh, what we want. There, a lot of times there isn't. Uh, I think particularly for that second tier. Um, there isn't really a meeting ground, as it were. Um, so, I mean, in many ways, that's like what Joe was saying, one can develop and develop and develop a new work until
4: um, one is blue in the face. And producers can come and support it, and say, you know, "Great job, this is wonderful. We really think this is an exciting piece of work,
3: but we'll never do it in a theater. Um, and these are you know, theater companies that
1: then present seasons that I very much like you described. So I think a lot of it is actually education. And I think it's uh, theater companies taking the responsibility and also you know, New York producers in many ways, taking responsibility to
2: educate their audiences. And to you know, sort of, by putting on a Latin play, it doesn't necessarily mean that your
3: audience is then going to understand what um, what is relevant to sort of the Latin community, and what is relevant to their community in relationship to the Latin community? I think that there's a lot, of, there's sort of a larger expanse of um, of, of learning that has to happen um, between you know, the American theater, sort of the people in charge, economically in charge. And then their audiences, and you know, I mean, they, they've been for, for what now thirty years. They've been trying various things with foundation <laughs> grants and you know um, philanthropic ways in which to try to sort of
2: increase understanding. But uh, I think those methods are really kind of you know. Of going down. What that's a great kind of thing to talk about in this audience. Of people who are potentially going to be the people out there working to change the demographics because the League of American Theater came out with their 2003 report and it said that 80%, and this is commercials, this is Broadway theater, so I mean, we're already beginning to d- discover there's a chasm between the commercial and kind of the more not for profit off Broadway development, but 80% of the audience for Broadway is Caucasian and the average household income of a family that attends Broadway theater is $105,000. So that's what the statistics were this year. On the flip side, there was, a, there was a very good news about it in terms of ticket sales were up 12% over last year, which means like in our economy with, the, you know, tentativeness and, and the war and everything like that, that people are still, it's something that people are seeking as an outlet. So it's somewhere people are going to find something. So how do we, how do we broaden the spectrum of what is found there? Are you
3: talking about Broadway specifically?
2: Not necessarily, but that's a place that we can begin and then branch off.
3: And I think it's, we can sit here forever, but Broadway is Broadway, it is what it is, it's a commercial venue, and it would be great if producers wanted to kind of consistently take aesthetic, artistic risks on Broadway, but they don't. And in a way, it's foolish to demand it of them because they're, they are, by definition, trying to make money. That's what they're there to do. So they will try and make money, and there are a lot of commercial producers, I think, who have a lot of integrity and would, and want very often to produce interesting plays on Broadway and have been very frustrated by the, the, uh, how, how difficult it is. I mean, I, I, I think, I, I think it's, in a way, it's almost better to leave it out of like, the thing that we can't change because it's so entrenched, and I think it you so. Seems like you could you could change it by changing you know the sort of the top of the not the top at theater tier in New York, for mm-hmm. example. That I, mean, I think that's a better venue. Okay.
5: But I, I think it's incredibly similar in its problems. Yeah. When, like you look yeah. at the, like, the center of the Manhattan Theater Club or those audiences, white, rich, older, hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh I went to see a yellow man at Manhattan Theater Club. So, right. And it was a, so surreal watching this like sea of privileged white, you know, glad to be their faces. And Taylor Alander Smith like, trying to talk about this Southern black experience. And the audience just couldn't have had less of a clue what she was talking about. Uh, And it was just, and I was glad that they were seeing it, and I was glad that she was willing to do it there, but it was, there was no point of communication between that audience and and her, and they were both trying, and it was uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, upsetting.
1: I'm, I've been a Tony voter for 13 years, and now a Lortel voter for now three years, so I have... I'm in the it all. fortunate or unfortunate position to see almost everything. So I,
3: I, I'm, I'm a little disagreeing with some things because off-Broadway, we're talking about
1: there are some really risky things out there right now. Xana Don't, which started as a little thing, you know, that then moved to off-Broadway. Uh, Our Lady of 121st Street, which such in the lab theater. Take Me Out, which, which started at the, at the Public. I mean, it's still, it's still a public it's production, over. but it's... Um, i guess one more um A, Susan Laurie Parks work. I think some of the uh, Radiant Baby I've talked about the public a lot. Um I think some some of what we're talking about is that um Richard Greenberg, Susan Laurie
3: Parks, um and Stephen how do you pronounce it?
1: Where, where it is? No, Sir, uh I think I think it's a question perhaps of of new writers coming in to places like the the art coming in to places like the public and Oh, and Playwrights Horizons, the new um, I Am My Own Life, which just supposedly created this buzz. It's pretty out there, from what I gather. I haven't seen it yet. So I don't know if what we're saying is that off-Broadway is, uh, well, hopefully a little edgier than Broadway. But but I think the issue is, you know, who's, who's, where's the new Richard Greenberg? Where's the next Susan Laurie Parks? Uh, interesting, is it Hila Cruz, who's just one of the, the coolest ones that play has
3: not yet been... Produced in New York, that you're reading at the public very soon after you got the award. Um, what's the in? Yeah. in the topics,
1: um, I'm, I'm sure we will see him hopefully soon on the boards. Um, so, my, my question is you know, Richard Greenberg, I know you've, you've done a lot of this work, David, uh, has gotten a lot of productions and
3: seasonally reports, of course. And um, where, are the, where are the new writers getting their opportunity? I, I don't feel like the subject matter is, that the edgy subject matter is not getting out there. In the plays I just mentioned,
1: it is. Xanadote, uh, for example, is
3: well, irreverent. I, I was saying, I mean, we should probably look at outside of Broadway. is <laughs> such a strange creature. Uh, and I think you're right, and I think there's a lot of them diversity maybe
1: not enough, but. and if the audience would take me out on Broadway, which I, I saw twice, I saw
3: downtown and uptown, and the uptown audience, the, the audience you're describing, the Manhattan Theater Club audience as it were,
1: were were I saw a matinee. And the ladies, I have to tell you, were there enjoying the nudity. that they, they were they were <laughs> that was their experience of it. They may not have understood the depth of, of what was going on there. But um, but it really is a very I guess <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it, it, Brave. Uh, the play, I think, is amazingly and brave, and they were getting that out of it, and the theater was full.
2: And I guess that's a good thing. Well, Susan, so you bring up an interesting point, and I think David, if you could speak to, because you work with the Lark Theater Company in developing. So, is there something in terms of you know when you're working with young playwrights, what do you see as what do you see as how is playwriting developing? In, in young playwrights? And is there something that you consistently are noticing in young playwrights' work? Well, I mean, I'd say
3: there, there are two things probably that I would talk about <coughs> in terms of young playwrights. One is, you, it's interesting you use the word, um, how is it developing? Because I think it's developing too much. Um, it, you know, have <laughs> the. I do some work in film as well, and it seems to me that a lot of regional theaters around the country and not the profits. Sort of now have the disadvantages of being film studios without the advantages of being film studios. That is, they develop everything to death, but they don't pay people.
4: Um, and so the, you you have a kind of I think
3: system that's somewhat self perpetuating that in terms of the literary departments and drama and um, that um, that many of whom are wonderful. I mean, I've had great experiences with dramaturgs, I They don't mean really to have as burdens on the profession, but I think that basically the dramaturg-playwright relationship needs to be like the director-playwright relationship. It needs to be sort of personal. You need to find the person who is the best artistic match for you. And you kind of go into these theaters that are like sausage factories and you get assigned a dramaturg whereas hopefully you wouldn't be assigned a director and then you're supposed to try and have an artistic relationship. And I feel like there are these young writers that go to you know, have three or four workshops at these different theaters with different dramaturgs and come out of the process not knowing what their play is. Anymore. So I think that's one problem. Another problem is just kind of the the, the tyranny of the baby boom ball, which is to say that you know, the baby boom ball, well, which is not physical, but which is to say that <laughs> a lot of this came up during a period when theater was expanding because there was more money, and then the money started to be crap, and now you have basically, a, you know, most theaters have, most cities have a regional theater and a major regional theater that's almost sort of invested, even if it starts to fail, basically managed to save it, um, and
2: And those of us who came up during that period who are boomers, we're basically still working.
3: And you have now a younger generation that's trying to find slots in those theaters. And I just feel there's a shortage of slots. Um, So I think that these are two difficulties that young playwrights face now. I think it's also young directors as well. It's it's not young playwrights, it's also young directors. I feel that with my assistance, there's a generation, 10 years behind Chris and me. it feels twice as far. It is. I mean, it feels <laughs> <kind> of, <laughs> and, and I think I think we sort of got in at, you know, just under the wire, if i because uh, you know, you, me, and Michael Mayer and you know, Mr. Peterson, I think we sort of we just made it before the, that, that sort of, of new start And I, 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 find that I struggle now trying to help my assistants kind of leave the nest. You know, I'm. I, I try and do everything I can and make phone calls because it's just tougher. It feels a little bit more like Four Dogs in a Bomb.
4: I think it's definitely tougher, but I think it's also it's, it's a little I, mean, is there, I think there are expectations of uh, people entering into the theater scene, regardless of whether they're a playwright or a director. Um, this sense of it's institution, I'll come in, I'll be given the budget, I'll put up a play. But um, from where I came from, which is slightly out of left field, coming out of the whole kind of, I don't ask the right thing, but anyway, the whole downtown sort of performance theater scene, essentially it was a more sort of a guerrilla approach to theater. The thing is people got together and people developed work. And I think you're talking about generations. You also have to talk in terms of peer groups where maybe if young directors, you know, hook up with young playwrights, hook up with young designers, hook up with young performers. You know, you start actually creating the work, and you know it always so dependent on a, you know, the institutional umbrella that there has to be, a, I think, a degree of let's put on a show. And that might be slightly naive, but sometimes I think you can do it without the sort of budgets that. Obviously, you can make more fabulous visual theater, you know, if you have a bigger budget, but, you know, sometimes it's just a story to tell. Sometimes it's language that you want to develop. And maybe it doesn't matter if you do it in a parking lot as opposed to, you know, Lincoln Center. And I think sometimes it's a matter of people creating networks, particularly if people are coming out of schools where they've had peers that they've worked with. And I know that this happens in a lot of schools where directors are put with young playwrights. And obviously there's the pool of um, actor talent. But I don't see why that doesn't continue once they get out. Actually, I think it does. Well, this would do a yeah. whole is what I mean. So, yeah. we're kind of talking about an entrenched bureaucracy, and, they're, and it's huge and it's really hard to find that's your right. way up in the ranks of it. But at the same time, I just feel that it has to be that sort of gut thing of that's I want to make theater. Yeah, and, and I think that's out there. I mean, I, and I know um, many of us are doing that.
3: I mean, many of us are doing a lot of just, you know, stuff in our living rooms. Right. Well, that's very Yeah. And that's yeah. a lot, of shortlist. That's right, yeah. and, <laughs> right. And we're just, you know, sort of doing that a lot and then um, go out to the regions to sort of make money right? and then come back um, and continue to try to sort of... But I think that in many ways, like the, um, the
4: institutional support, I, I often think about... Um, I don't I know, know if you guys came out of the program at New York, did a workshop with, it was project. you guys, the new
5: director yeah. project. But, the new York, uh, new did.
4: Uh, but David S. Leorn's I know. You did that, it was it wasn't one of those. It
5: was that New York it was the workshop, but it wasn't.
1: Nine, yeah. was the So, I mean, there was, yeah, there was there was like a, in terms of just sort of initially, I think,
5: you know, 10, 15 years ago,
3: there was more, because there was more money
5: and um, there was an immense amount of more grant money 10 years ago yeah, just out there to support writers and, young, writers and mm-hmm. young directors and right. it's just, and immediately so, harder now
1: yeah I mean we tend to you
3: know sort of do a lot of um, uh, sort of we actually you know also call it guerrilla theater but or
2: brunch theater um, and you know it's just like <laughs> it's too <laughs> you know constantly
4: constantly um, you know chasing and it's great, you know, because we are forming <coughs> and hopefully we'll eventually sort of be
2: the next generation uh, you know, breaking through into the institutions. You, would, you would mentioned something about, you know, Joe, if you have, you have more money, of course, you can make more spectacular visual imagery. There seems to kind of be a trend of the visual um, in some ways Becoming a form of vocabulary for communication, that I'm not sure if it's coming from being a more TV and film centric culture or not. But um, do you, how do you do you think that the image is starting to replace text, and and then do you feel like that makes directors become authors of of pieces? How do you do you, do you see a trend towards that, and and in, in talking about what new plays. In American society are do you guys see that as a trend
4: or do you feel like how do you feel that that exists you know it's interesting because um i just sat on a panel to mm-hmm. look at no. No. Uh, i just it's good thing i'm on an act i just sat on a panel uh looking at uh young directors in terms of a um, foundation situation And so I read a lot of the applications, um, and they had read many before before me, and I was amazed at the consistency in terms of talking about um, making that sort of theater, uh, very designed theater, um, looking to the work of um, Pierre Sellers or, um, you know, the... um, points work of Anne Bogart sure. um, which is all fabulous work right. but it was so consistent across the board I felt like I kept on reading the same application right. and I just thought it's really just because we keep on talking about the playwright-director relationship and I said this is really tricky in terms of where are the young directors who are very you know curious about text and language to work with the young playwrights and but I don't think it's I think yeah it's cool now you know that sort of type of theater but i don't think it's so new i mean all the work that i saw all through the 80s you know i sort of wondered did anyone ever see ping chong or meredith monk or babu mines or you know squat theater or the you know all the performance art that was at the kitchen or you know yeah it's always been around you know and it's an it's a continuing um form that's exciting i you know, and so maybe it's just, it does feel exciting because it does put more focus on the director. It's very much a look at the amazing images I'm making up on stage, mm-hmm. and that's a choice to make. And, you know, and I don't think that you have to attract in either one form, but it's definitely something that seems very in the forefront of the way people are thinking now, yeah, yeah. right? But
3: there, isn't a, there seems to me to be an impact pattern between the way directors are being trained and the way playwrights are being trained. Right. And uh, both of them. I think, are told that they are the auteurs. Mm -hmm. Um, And it creates problems. And it's a very rare director, in my experience. Uh, Perhaps not so rare, but you know, perhaps half. That's significant. Who's interested in helping the writer distill the text for what it is um, and find the life of the play within the text. Um, So that's... uh, you know, I, I consistently see that again and again, that that, that clash I mean, I, I think there are great directors out there that do sort of more auteur work, um, and I like to work with them sometimes, and I sometimes like to do collaborations where uh, it stems a bit, you know, it jumps off of the director's vision, but I just think directors should know that if they're primarily interested in pursuing that sort of career, then, like an author, they're gonna to have to initiate a lot of their own projects it's going to be less likely that they're going to get a lot of work that's text oriented that's, you know, with a playwright uh, because a playwright is generally going to want, you know, if I write the play, I'm basically going to want to be kind of the primary creative uh, vision of that particular production and I'm going to be looking for a director that uh, would agree with me.
5: (laughs) I think there's like two in that same vein. I I think Playwrights are over-mentored, uh, like, maybe, and directors are under-mentored. it's like, a playwright, you, person after person tells you how to fix your play, how to, like, and just, they get so much information at you, it's easy to get lost. I think young directors don't get any information. They're like, how do I do it? I don't know. They're sort of floundering out there. And then suddenly they're in rehearsal, and no, you know, no one's going to say, here's how to direct your play, because the director is sort of holy in that way, and you, and you don't get enough information. So maybe there's a middle ground. Um, I also think in terms of the visual aspects, if what you're doing as a director is doing like plays, plays that exist on the page as a script with an act one and an act two, uh, I think there's a, because scripts are so overread and overdeveloped, a lot of times what ends up happening in plays is there's this weird reading thing that's come into being where all the visual information is front-loaded, so you can like quickly say the stage directions, and then there's like huge bits of you know, and then everything's in the text. Uh, and then at the end of the scene, maybe there's room for like a quick visual. Uh, so you end up with these very unvisual scripts actually, because they've been overread, and something that reads well is not necessarily something that's got a lot of sort of the, the information in the visual. It's all in the text, all the information, and you end up with these weirdly. Uh, Television scripts almost that don't have a lot of exciting theatrical uh, visual ideas, but a lot of exciting verbal ideas. Radio scripts. Yeah, radio scripts is a great way to put it.
1: I just wanted to respond to on uh, I want to respond to what you said about the the visual theater that you're describing as, as being a result as being influenced or coming from television and film. I I think in a way it's the reverse. I think that um, there's a lot of it. In the best sense that celebrates what the theater, the three-dimensionality of the theater, what the theater can do, and I read
3: that somewhere in the material for this symposium, um, what the theater can do that film and television cannot do. In other words, the, the work of Martha Clark or the work of um, what Mary Overly, as the viewpoints originator, began. That Amber Fogart has made her own. Um, the work that the visuals that you're talking about are are uniquely theatrical. And that's what, it's it's very exciting to me. I do some of that. I don't only do that, but um, I just wanted to make that point. But I think that 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 is important for our future because it does distinguish what the theater can do visually. It's not only multimedia. I mean the the three-dimensional spaces architecture stuff that the theater can do brilliantly. And only theater can do. I also think it comes down to there being really two paths you can choose and hopefully, you know, uh, director, you can choose both. But it it has to do with do you want to work on new plays or do you want to do revivals? Uh, If you do a revival, a play that exists, you know, knock yourself out, do whatever you want. Make it rethink it, reimagine it. You can't hurt it. I mean, you can hurt it in the context of that production, but then it goes back on the shelf and it exists. But and I say this to you know my students all the time: if you're working on a new play, your responsibility is the play. You can't be the event. If you're the event, if you want to be the event, don't work on new plays. Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, when the review comes out, the review is about the play, and you know, I always say you're lucky if you get an adjective, you know, under the death to direction of.
0: And, and, and if that
3: hurts your feelings and makes you feel, you know, unimportant, then you need to d- direct a revival of, you know, Canada, and then will, because nobody's questioning Canada, they're questioning, you know, the production. Um, and I think I started out doing exclusively new plays uh, and then made a shift in terms of direct revivals and I like kind of going back and forth but Richard Greenberg actually once said something to me, you know, we were talking about some producers had given me some notes about something we were working on and there wasn't enough of a take and he was so out of that take and he was outraged and he said, it's too soon for you to have a take, it would be like it was a great metaphor, he said that that would sort of be like child abuse, this thing isn't ready to be taken, is how he said it and I think that I, I, I just don't think you can develop a new play where your responsibility is helping the author find that play. That's all your responsibility is. And that can involve visual, uh, tremendous visual input. It can involve dramaturgical input. It can involve a whole lot of things. But at the end of the day, you're, help- you're sort of a mid person. Sort of yeah, midwife. Midwife. Yeah, yeah, sure. 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 <laughs> I'm a midwife. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you, are, you are the midwife to, at this birth. And it's not the place say it's all about me. Yeah. Let me say that the best, the very best dramaturgs that I've ever had have been my directors. Uh, and, 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 when, and sometimes, actually, the official dramaturgs, frankly, is the way. Uh, and, and that that relationship uh, sort of needs to be recognized for the, you know, the primary hinge that it is, and often it often is And I agree with you, it's, it's, it's uh, op- oftentimes after a successful production, it's up. And I'm so happy that it it's beautiful. Uh, I'm sometimes offended that the role of the director is made invisible in sort of the way that people talk about it. And I don't know that would be my thoughts
2: about are you know, In terms of so much of the critique is of the play as opposed to what your influence over it was?
3: I guess because, you know, if, if I do a rewrite based on. This creative process that's underway with the director. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, people just see the rewrites. Right. So they don't see the sort of two weeks of back and forth with the director right. that made that
1: possible. Right.
3: Yeah.
4: I
1: think that's just a lot. You should write a piece about that in, in yeah. <laughs> and send it to the Dominus
2: Bill. I am a mix. Do you think it's interesting that you brought up? directors who are pursuing new work versus, you know, doing art previously produced. Do you feel like there is a way and perhaps it's just from so much from my training, but I don't really as a young director, I don't necessarily feel like I feel like there are the opportunities for me to go out there and create my own work and make it happen, however, you know, by this by the sweat and, you know, determination to make it happen. But I don't necessarily feel like there's an opportunity for me to go out there and direct, you know, Eugene O'Neill, or something like that. I don't think, I don't feel like we, we provide the opportunity for young directors to kind of do revivals of plays. Do you feel like that's true?
3: Okay. I guess if you mean in the, real, in the larger institutions, you know, I think it's just across the board harder for an early career director to get slot at, at a large resident theater. And so it's whether it's a slot for you know David to play or the revival of *Miss Alliance*. Uh, it's just I think it's sort of equal. I don't think it's more or less because in a funny way, if you were going to make your own work, the easiest well, easiest way to kind of what you could certainly do is say I have this really great idea for you know uh, the broken Picture by Pleist, and I want to do that play. I haven't done in a while, um, so I think you, in Kind of, and also, you can bring that to the kind of artistic directors of institutional theater, whether they're big or small. I mean, one of the ways a director can, can actually get that kind of production to happen is by having a very passionate response to the play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's happened, I know that's worked for me in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, you need to get in the door and someone has to say what you want to do. Right. Um, or I guess you can bang on it long enough, but just ask what you want to do to shut you off. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I think it's just equally hard, but and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I think, because I think playwrights are inevitably going to be cautious about collaborating with writers, with directors whose work they don't know. So I think those slots are just as tricky. Um, I mean, I think if you've seen someone's work, even though you have both of them, you might be willing to trust them and say, it's a play, but you know, it's hard. As a director, you know, you, you walk in the room and you say, yeah, I'm a director. Well, what makes you a director except having a director? And no one's seen it, it's a
1: tree that fell it's 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 a, it's hard. A, a but so what happened? Look at um, again. I know I know this stuff because I chart it because I see everything. But look at Ethan McSweeney's career. Never the Sinner started in Washington in a small
3: theater, the Signature, I believe, yeah. and it was brought to New York at the American Jewish Theater, where it was very
1: successful. Moved off Broadway by Jeff Richards, who hired him to do uh, the Best Man on Broadway, and now he's doing The Persians for NAT. So I mean. The band. point there is, do a new work, never the sinner. Do it as best you can with your full heart This isn't done in a rather remote, small place. And if you put your heart and soul into something new, and it's a relationship with the right arm, I I'm never the sinner, sorry. Does anyone know it? No one else knows it either. I not remember. But, no, it's a wonderful work. Um, but but that's, how, that's how you do it. Generally, you know, it happens.
3: I was
5: just saying that I don't know that
3: I don't
5: know that it's easier to direct a new play for an early career director than it is to direct a revival. I tell my assistants if they really want to direct classics and their sort of early career is like pick the smallest classic you can find because I because I do think that a lot of artistic directors want the big cast shows for themselves They to record those because like oh my god I get to do a Shakespeare okay. with, and it's my one show to shot to do twenty actors and if you can find a classic you love that has four actors you can produce it anywhere.
3: I think also I mean, with my experience, I. I've been asked to do classes at smaller theaters, so that's it's been great because I've continued to sort of hone my skills working on classes in a lot of smaller theaters. And then um, some of the larger theaters, I've been lucky enough to uh, have been hired twice. Line, um, you know, writers haven't don't know my work, but we we talked and they've heard of my work uh, most recently. I just did a, a brand new Cheryl West play at City Theater, and um, Cheryl <coughs> never saw my work, and actually never came to see that. Um So, and it was very pleased with the outcome. I, really, I you know, really did my absolute best on that piece, um, and I think that <coughs> if you're given an opportunity like that as a young director, that you really have to. Um, seize the moment, as it were, and really kind of, you know, and, and, and push forward and, you know, sort of use, use that opportunity you know, to not only build the relationship with the writer, but also with the theater, so that they can, you know, then ask you about <coughs> So what it is that you don't want to do that. So, I and mean, it's sort of you know,
4: two ways
2: of, of trying to handle the juggling. Um, okay, we don't. We're going to open it up in just a minute to some questions from the audience. So, I just because it, the focus was new works, we heard a little bit from David about and and playwriting from um, kind of young writers. But from from the directorial perspective, the new plays that you're reading, do you feel like there is in, in merging it with the topic of? What can theater do in terms of theatricality? Do you feel like there's any kind of trend that you're seeing in new plays that you read that, in any way, kind of reflects some type of focus on pop culture, focus on political, focus on do, what do you think? What do you think the the temperature of the writing out there is? And that can be any. <laughs> I think
4: the one thing that. Um, I see a lot of the, uh, is a lot of um, writers and directors are trying to bring into theater some sense of hip hop culture that is all around everyone, which somehow seems to be having a lot of trouble getting onto stage. I don't know why it sells Cheerios and cars it's, you know, but it's you know, I mean it's <laughs> in every other form of, you know a culture but people still seem to be grappling with how to get it authentically onto the stage. And I see that again and again, since the scripts I read and workshops I do and readings and the people I know who are working, you know, in that, well, both in that form outside and people in the theatre trying to see how collaborations can come together. That's the main thing that I see. If you're talking about something new right. that's coming out of the culture, that's trying, that theatre is trying to embrace it. It's okay. having trouble, as far as I can see. Mm-hmm.
5: I think there's going to be a big renaissance of musical theater in about five years. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I, I think there's a, like, a lot of people who are like, interesting like, playwrights and people from like, all kinds of different disciplines that, that before wouldn't have thought to write a musical are starting to get interested in it and talk to each other. And I think there's going to be a real upsurge of more interesting work coming into the musicals.
3: I will say, though, as a playwright, um, when you write songs in a play, uh, producers don't like it. They don't. It's, it's just another thing that makes putting on the play more complicated. Playwrights love it. I mean, anyone who's been in the theater when, you know, somebody breaks into song recognizes the power of that. It's something that theater does uniquely. Producers don't like it. It freaks them In
0: my case.
2: Well, do you guys have any questions out there? Yeah, in
3: the front row. Um, you talked about parking lot theater and living room theater. Uh, no one uh, has looked at television in any positive way as as an outlet. Uh, you know, I've taken a look at some of the reality TV, and certainly it's pretty silly. But uh, when I looked at it, I said, wow, if we had done that off-Broadway, They've been extolling us in the times and the village voice. Um, is there any way we can use television and cable, the extension of cable, to, to get some of those fertilizer dollars to, uh, uh, to help uh, with more experimentation? Is, if reality TV is found in an audience, isn't there an audience that is willing, um, that watches this thing to, to experiment? We have some brilliant reality TV in the exonerated which is all Broadway right now. It's,
1: it's a play about, written directly from real life people who were uh, acu- wrongly accused all over the country of okay. crimes that they were then exonerated for. And it's
3: changing lives really. So um, the theater can do that too, um,
1: better and in you know, a profound way. And it's very political.
3: Can we get onto TV, really?
1: It, maybe it will go so
3: there. I, I, no, so I don't know. No, they're completely different. sorry, we're talking about theater of testimony, in which The Exonerated is a great example. It's incredibly moving. And uh, there's nothing real about reality in TV. There's nothing real about choosing, you know, the guy with the best hairless abs and the college, you know, blonde poet, you know, with a propensity for mixed cocktails. And blonde- <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's not reality.
3: The exonerator is, and uh, network television is not interested in the uh, exonerator. That's right. Be that's why I said yeah. cable. Yeah, not, not the network. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that wouldn't be theater. Yeah. Yeah. That would right. yes. be TV. Yeah. yeah. and So... Uh, what is the ideal play development process, especially between a director and a playwright, regardless of reading I mean, I. I you want to expand on that? Cause Obviously, the way you become a better playwright is by getting productions, and that's the Catch Twenty Two that young writers find themselves in. And I'm sure that this is true for directors as well. You know, a two day, one day, four hour reading process to gets shorter and shorter. Uh,
2: doesn't cut it. Yeah, I mean, I think
3: that they would a theater that's willing to commit to doing a play to do a workshop of it before you do the play uh, is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And and, and I also think that a, a, a playwright and a director, um, you know, the playwright and the director need to have a certain affinity, and the same holds true for the relationship with the dramaturg if there's going to be a dramaturg in the collaboration. Um, but yeah, it's this. It's that somehow there's. We got into this habit, and I think it came out of various um, uh, foundation initiatives to just put a lot of money into play development, disproportionate to the amount of uh, plays that we're going to be able to actually get production. And that seems to me to have been ultimately somewhat harmful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think a play is developed when it's heading to a production, And and I think particularly because we're always wrong about plays we see them in production. I mean, there's a mysterious alchemy that exists in a production that doesn't exist in those friggin' readings. You know, and I, they're also beguiling sometimes. I mean, we, we've all like, gone to the workshops where everybody goes crazy, and the show goes right to Broadway, and then, you know, and then it, so that's that and, and there's a strange kind of weird, distorted energy at reading. And I think you, Chris, you said it, and you keep, Writers are learning how to write for readings. I mean, it's just demented. They're like these reading-friendly plays. And I think readings are great as long as it's, a, it's, it's a, a, a step on a journey to a production. So that if at a certain point the writer says, I hear what all these people with yellow pads are saying to me about that moment in the play, but I do think it works, and I want to see it in the production before I cut it. Um, and not feel like, well, they won't produce my play if I don't cut that thing that doesn't really that I think should work. I, mean, I, I I know a lot about plays, and I, and I think I'm pretty smart about plays, but what I've gotten smart about is knowing how little I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm always wrong, and that's interesting, and it's, it's much more exciting. But, I, you know, at first preview, suddenly so a huge laugh, <coughs> where I thought, you know, there was, you know, a moment was kind of wrong, it wasn't landing, it wasn't set up. You, you underestimate audiences, you overestimate audiences, you make a lot of mistakes about
4: plays, until you actually get them in the room with the audience. So. Well, that's, that's the element that's missing in all yeah. this reading workshop. Because it's not an audience. And that's why and isn't about being on TV because the audience is the third element in the whole thing. And if you don't, I mean, you really don't know what you have yeah. until you start putting an audience and you go, oh, I see, that's the rhythm of that piece. Oh, that's the story we thought. We thought we were telling this story, but the audience thinks we're telling this story. Oh, here's this beat that we were, you know, oh, we thought we were landing it here, but no, it's we were already, you know, I mean, it's, it's the audience feeds you all the time. And I think as a director, you spend as much time at the back of the house watching the audience, actually more, yeah. watching it into previews, than watching it in the i
3: a lot Get smart about that and know how to say to people, directors or artistic directors, you know, I, I, you're all wrong. To so get in front of an audience in that moment is going to work. And I think it's harder for an early career playwright to say that because they're trying so desperately to get the play scheduled in stage two next season. Um, you know, I, did, I just did this new Stephen Leeds play, and he's such a smart writer. And I would ask him stuff, and he would say, oh, you know, that's going to make sense when she gets up and crosses the couch. That whole thing's going to make sense. I don't even worry about it. He would say stuff like that to me all the time, and I would say, nine times out of ten, he was right? You know, I would say, before I could even finish the question, do you think that's going to make sense? Because I'd be halfway through, and he'd say, no, that'll make sense. I don't know that's going to make sense. And, and I think that's a kind of power that only comes from you know, having done
1: it long enough, have been allowed to do this. In class. There's a little, I just want to tell folks about something you may not know about because it's not publicized, but there, there's hope. You asked about the director of writing process. There's a, a involved in having for many years with the H B Playwrights Theater, Theater. and right now we're in rehearsal for the one-act
3: festival they do every June, and there's a wide, disappointment, there's a wide playwrights union that meets all year, and they choose a theme, and then they get produced, they will get produced, fully produced by the best actors around. There's no money for every, anyone, but it, it, it's exactly
1: giving new writers the chance to see their work up and it's guaranteed. And there are other groups like that. Um, a women's project has a writers' group that, that produces. Uh, I, I short plays, but that's because it has to way And having the theater, win right now, I believe has a has that EST um, possibly has something that's that direct. But uh, or and then or make one. You know, our new Georges may have it. Where where they have writers groups ongoing, and then they write, and then they get produced. Part of an audience
3: for many performances, uh, and that's how you learn. So it, it it does exist, and I'm sure there are other theaters um, I haven't mentioned who do it as well. If anybody knows, can please say. But so that's a little hopeful. I think.
1: Maybe maybe it. <laughs>
2: in the
3: third row on the end. Uh, yeah. First, I want to say thank you. I'm going to tell what I thought. I was losing my mind about the whole writing. <laughs> Please, thank you so much for just taking that. Feel like get out there. Um, uh, somebody mentioned um, that there needed to be more places for young
1: directors, writers, and producers to come up with each other. I think writers and directors actually are, are finding each other a little bit. But I would love to know where the young <laughs> 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 Any of you out there? I want to get questions for both the panel and the room. The places where writers and producers, writers, directors and producers, can come together and really talk directly to each other. Joe, are you hearing that? Thank you, Susan. Yeah, yeah. Yes, as a matter yeah. of fact. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm taking notes. I think the foundation is going to uh, maybe create. Well, they have a writer uh, director network anyway, right? A have, choreography
3: yes. and- I was going to speak to it at the end, but this is perfect, thank you, Susan. Uh, the foundation has several things. We have uh, drop, director dramatist exchanges, we have director musical theater writer exchanges. We are going to be creating next season, based on that model, the director producer exchange. Um, we also have something monthly, which I really want to encourage. Honestly, everyone in this room to attend, because the panel has spoken to it. Um, the Director and Choreographer Network. It's called that because we're the Director and Choreographers Foundation. It's not limited to directors and choreographers, but so it's open to anyone. And its its express purpose is exactly what the panel would say, which is for writers and directors and producers and designers and managers and choreographers to get together and meet and talk and build a community and build a network. So you come one week, or one month I mean, And you say, you know what, I'm doing this, people like that, I really need a stage manager. And then there's a room of 60 people who can say, I know one, I know one, I know one. And that program is only as good as the people who attend. It's no format, everybody meets in a room, we started a
1: new thing where we have a topic for the first half hour or so, but then
3: the next hour is free form. It's open to whatever that group wants to talk about that night in that room. So, I encourage everyone to make sure you're on our mailing list. Most of our communications nowadays is done by email. So, when the director-producer exchange gets started, you will get an email about it. You won't get a postcard, you won't get a flyer, you don't send them out, but you'll get an email. The director dramatists exchanges are happening next Tuesday. the director-dramatist, next Wednesday, is director-musical theater. There's still a few slots. Um, but again, we do them periodically, and they're always, always on our email. So, this networking idea, this meeting, this introductory, idea, you know, the forms for introduction, we do regularly. So, please make sure you're on our mailing list so you get that information. It's the only way you're going to hear about it. Or visit our website, www.stcfoundation.org. Why well, still looking for producers? <laughs> <laughs> to compliment what Joe was talking about, my name is Rachel Liner. I work with the American News. We have two programs that develop relationships and help
1: to facilitate communications between producers, directors, marriage, and the like. Um, the first one is the New Producers Alliance. We so have three um, seminars, four times a year, just networking events. Totally free have created if you want to be on the list, my email address is logweiner at logweiner.org. That is part that we're just out and, and, and on the list. Um, secondly, the, you know, that's sort of level one. Level two is the producer development workshop, and that does have a small fee, but it actually offers participants uh, a more exclusive opportunity to meet and network, and actually the the producer development today, so that's very exciting. Um, and that's sort the of
3: we Rachel is great. Um, and her colleague at Sandler is also great. We work with them a lot. They help us a lot. So um, we have an expert sitting in here. Any other questions? Yeah. I guess, uh, sort of to that, but um, how likely is it, or right? how difficult is it to, as we're talking about, know, all walks of character life in a play to do the six characters? I mean, is that something, an issue that has to be faced? It, you know, all these theaters are putting cash requirements where you know that if you go over six characters, how much is that limiting the writer's ability to write next stage in America or whatever, that really addresses larger social issues than the country maybe as a whole. I mean, I think it is an issue. It's an issue that we've been dealing with probably for 30 or 40 years now. Um, uh, I, by the way, let me first say that I don't know that the, the, the assumption here was that any given play has to represent all of that. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but the, the limitation <laughs> of cast size is, is you know it's tricky. And um, I was amazed actually when I saw pick me out I was like, oh, there are a lot of people in this play um, because you just as a writer, you know, we sort of come up over the last twenty years. I did think about cast size, and it's it, you know, and I realized I, you know my plays are going or a lot of my plays anyway are going to be difficult enough to produce because you've got to put some Asians in them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I, you, know make, you have to have a lot of people it's just my odds are pretty slim um, of, of getting produced so uh, it does become a form of self-censorship and I don't really I can't really say I know what to do about that every now and then a writer has to go hey, this is just something that is going to take 15 characters and hell, maybe it's only going to get produced you know, uh, right? it's not going to get produced but I have to write this and that's the only way to get past that let me also say that a uh, large cast, I'm all for it, but uh, dealing with larger social issues does not page on okay. having a large basis. I guess is it more does it make it
1: more difficult? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know. But if you have to write it, write it. Don't worry about it. Look at Angus in America. It wasn't counting. I was wondering you know, could be that that's a problem that could be black.
5: I think it's moving the other way, actually, the, the, there's a new thing in the last six months that for sort of commercial theater, you can do one reading of a play or a musical, and after that you start owing the actors uh, subsidiary. subsidiary rights on it, which you know, is going to really cut down on readings, I think, in the commercial realm. And part of me is sympathetic to that, I mean, the actors get so abused in the reading process, they do so much work, that, you know, and ultimately the, the director and the playwright and the theater are getting a lot of information and positive stuff for the future, and the actors have no promises made to them, and they're maybe getting a subway token. So it's, it's a real hard thing to know how to, which direction to go.
3: I hope it didn't sound as though I was saying meetings are bad or workshops are bad. I think they're great as long as they're on as, as, as long as it's a play that's ultimately produced. I just think it's the one, it's the plays that kind of live in that development lim- limbo for a really long time. And I, I don't, I, and I think there are theaters that have found ways to do more developmental yeah. production. Um, you know, I don't know if Horizons does it there, and the other one's upstairs. And they, in fact, do have concessions from all meetings. We have to get tokens an envelope and just uh, change, and I essentially and So I think there are ways. I think a lot of theaters have started to do that to kind of create shorter rehearsal periods. But I do think that's so much better because it's still a production and subscribers, come and it's not just you know a, a two-a-gorge show. Yeah. I'm
1: oh, sorry. Uh, there seems to be a trend in regional theater to uh, align and do co-productions. Uh, my situation, you know, I'm going to do a Stephen alley park Stage Dallas Theater Center with Susan Park okay. as an as an assistant director. So, there, you know, seeing as how the assistant director position is being kind of phased out, or I mean, there's a, absolutely little or no compensation for this poor show. Run, even though they're really excellent production houses, theaters. Um, how do what what would the person do in that position then to reap the benefits of that? You know, I mean what is the how can yes, you've got all these assistant director positions, and, and many of us do work on that level, but how do we take the step either to continue to assist and direct, maybe for more compensation or to get those direct positions that will push you to get us moving and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. uh, Pam McKinnon, was just again relevant a lot and then she's done it with friends but on other shows. Mm-hmm. She, she got the data either out or the Dallas Pierce Center doing it with friends. I, mean, I hope that's not what she's doing. In fact, it's not what she's be doing, but that would have been great for her to get the first launch uh, by position with Pam. And oh. She was fabulous. Uh, I've interviewed her. I know she's fabulous. she's fabulously young and exciting company. Probably gets all the help that you would imagine by what you said to get that job. So yeah. hopefully you're going to meet. I mean, I mean should be. Right, if everybody's talking yeah. about that, I mean it should be you're you're meeting a whole lot of people and if you do your job well, we can show you. Yeah, well. and I, and I think I think it's I actually do think, you
3: know, it's, it's frustrating. I know assisted for longer than you want to, because I, 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 I sort of got I did that too a little bit. But I, I do know it does if you if you keep your eyes on the prize it can be a very useful way of getting not, not just meeting people but also like sort of working with you know the, the, the playwright who's playing your assistant director and inevitably they do get to know everybody and it, that relationship even becomes sort of intimate between you meet the assistant director um, and I think if you're good at what you do like was saying that, that becomes a very that can evolve into a relationship. I also think that the key is to keep talking to the director. I, I try to be aware that my assistants don't want to just be my assistants. Yes. Um, but they have to they sort of remind me a lot and you know, they'll call me and ask for advice and I, you know, I'll take them up for a drink and then and we'll, I'll sort of go through stuff with them. Like, well, what are you doing? Where are you sending your resumes? And where can I help you do that? And where, you know, does my name actually mean something? And where will, do you give to at all? Where will it do some harm?
1: Okay. And, and
3: i think so i think i think we can use that time as an assistant as four as you know resident leaders that could be great and and talk to the talk to the artistic director you know, say if this you know if this second stage two next season keep me in mind or you know if you have a workshop next season keep me in mind so You have to yeah push yourself you have to know it does that answer your question yeah. Do you questions out there? I'll, I'll say something. Okay. The, uh, the next kind of number of times the issue of working with artistic directors came up and how you move beyond the reading workshop uh, phase to get into production. That's something that I, I encourage you guys. It, it needs, should be, obviously, should be discussed with the artistic director. That that's should be one of the key components of uh, discussion for our musical theater session later this afternoon. That's exactly what we're going to be addressing. You know, how to development, work development, the reading, workshop, process, and production It's, it's front of an event we did with a lot of these same people a few months ago called New Works to musicals. So I encourage you all to bring that up at that session in QA and uh, because you're gonna have some artistic directors on the panel. And then again, tomorrow, for the Now What session, Again, you're gonna have an panel of, of artistic directors bring it up, because they're the ones that are going to have some of the answers. Hopefully that can be seeking. The other thing I wanna bring up, is it, it came out of this Q&A today, is how, and before this, how do you meet artistic directors? How do you get jobs? What do you say to them? We're gonna be giving a workshop on that. We're tentatively right now calling you interviewing skills 101. Yeah. But the whole point is, the whole point of the workshop is hopefully to help the early career directors sharpen their interviewing skills. We'll have four artistic directors and each of the participants will interview with each of the four and then get feedback. So again, make sure you're on our mailing list or our email list so that when we do that, you can see, you can sign up and you can uh, participate. For those of, that's how that will help too. We've steps from a session we did with Pop Moss where he was talking about How people approach him and what works and what doesn't work. Do you have a question there? Yeah, okay. I just want to go back on what Joe was saying in terms of how I'm here as a playwright and I wanted to kind of
1: understand some of the other Um, aspects of this collaboration called theater. I mean, I think that you that. I'm an active workshop, and I'm here now, and I'm trying to understand the whole picture and where I fall in that picture. And my biggest question is I understand that here is is really relationship involvement, involvement in between people. And my question is, how do I know at the outset? What questions do I ask? What kind of feeling do I get to know that?
5: people are the right people working with you on the to actually have it, and and get it out there for I feel like there's two main things. One is do you like what they have to say about your pride uh, and the other is do they listen to you? I mean like do they do, are, do they just want to talk at you or do, are they interested in knowing what it is that you you know are after and are, do you feel like they're processing that because I feel like an immense number of directors and producers are interested in shaping you, shaping your play, and great, and also if they're not interested in what, in why you why you wrote it and how you'd like it to be done, then find other people. I think trying to um, decide on the
1: director for a particular play is one of the hardest things to do.
3: And you know, because also the way it's set up basically, you tend to, to go to, you know, so-and-so, you may or may not have seen that person's work, and then you go to lunch, and then you decide you're going to man, you're getting married. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so it's abbreviated. Um, and so it's, yeah, I think one thing in general that I feel about both records and dramaturges is when they do a sort of dramaturgial function is I think it's great when they point out what the, what they perceive uh, are important issues with your piece, you know, things that maybe work, things that don't work for them. It starts to get a little funky for me when they have um, ideas on how to fix it. Um, that, you know, every now and then you will get a suggestion from somebody on how to fix something that's great. So, it's, you know, none of these things are hard to pass either, but in general, um, the, the more people are willing to talk about their response to your work, but you're the person who picked, you know, who, who probably needs to come up with a solution. Um, and just one other little anecdote, when I met John Dexter for M. Butterfly, he, he was a guy who didn't, he didn't like to talk about, about things, he just like to do it, you know, to do the work. And so the way we did our interview was that he
1: had us read the play out loud to each other. He took half the characters, and I took half the
3: characters, and we just read it. And it was a very kind of visceral way to try to find out if we were seeing the same play. Um, and I always thought it was one of, the, one of the best interviews that I'd done.
1: I would also add to that that um, David just mentioned one thing I was going to say in my experience which is that when I meet a writer for the first time, having read a play and then the decision about whether to get married or not, I to have rather quickly. And sometimes as a producer, and sometimes write in that interview or not. But uh, first, I like to tell the writer to celebrate what I think is the best strength of that writer, what the unique voice is. I like to articulate to them, I think your strength is this. This is, why I love, this is what I love about your work. And, and hopefully you're hearing that I got it. And if I if I'm saying all the wrong things, then you know that I didn't get it. And then I I, I go to the things that I think might need work. And I, I, it's, it's important what they said about and then I'm not to say this is how I would fix it. job. this is what's fabulous and unique and it's I think your voice and then this is what maybe you like to work on And If the things I mentioned as possibly the work you think are perfect and then then it's not right. And this formula has worked for me for 20-something years. It's, it's um, pretty straightforward, it's, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Very respectful. So, if yeah. a director
3: starts to tell you what to do, yeah. they're not a good director. I mean, for a new play, I mean, I always say that my job is just to just ask questions. And I like to ask a lot of questions, and, you know, when it comes to the actual production, I have to have all the answers, but not about the play. You know, I don't, like, like you know, put these four lines. This to it's nonsense. Uh, but if they ask the right questions, then ideally, that really is a collaboration because that's going to sort of spark some between those two impulses. In the best, in the best situations, between those two impulses, that the author and the playwrights, something new happens. And you, you, you maybe write something that you wouldn't have before, and that's certainly not going to and, somebody's telling you to do it. And, and I think that goes as well for producers. Occasionally, the producer will say, you know, I don't want to produce your play unless you, you know, give it a different kind of an ending. And then it's your decision to either do both or not. But The best question is that the answer is be great. Yeah. <laughs> anybody else? Yes? I have for yeah? just have one question
1: what do you think the effect of the fact, of fact that
4: how television like throw away to talk to everything that? How do we maintain the circuit or more? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next, I, I just, you know, the thing is I, I think a lot of people talk in either or terms, but a lot of the Playwrights I know also work in TV and they also write scripts and they keep on returning to theatre. So I don't see why it has to be an either or. I mean, obviously, if someone's you know on a series and they're writing for TV, a lot of their time is going to be going into that. But at the same time, if they still have that connection to theatre they still have that need to write for theater, they will anyway, and it doesn't, I mean, I work all the time with playwrights who are on a series or have just written a script or who, you know, and in a way, I actually don't, I don't see why we would have a problem with that, because the thing is, TV and film pays, and the theater sucks in terms of, you know, so who are we to say, you know, no, no, you know, live in your attic, you know, and write for theater exclusively, I think, if they can, if people can balance and that's nice, it's kind of a Robin mentality, you know? You the rich and to the poor. Uh, and I don't see why it should be exclusive unless it's just a matter of how many hours in the day do you have. But most people I know seem to be able to sort of point juggle it. I, I mean, I think you, I have
3: to think it's better as a screenwriter if you also write plays because you get social respect being a You so, feel much better about just
1: taking the money and using it to so, find you
3: know, something that you really want to do. So, you know, I feel like a minute to be the same. One I mean, of the most that, worked, that I work with uh, actually do do both. Um, you know, Rich Greenberg, David, uh, Eric Obermeyer, Teresa Rebeck, Michael um, Wells. Want- I don't think it's mutually exclusive if deep down that person is a playwright and then really just, you know, a, a competent writer who can write good television. But and Nicky Silver and I mean, they all they all like television and, television and and I think it's and I and I know you know Nicky says this all the time, it's like he's happy to do it but he'll take every idiotic note and he'll do exactly what they want because he has two worlds. When he comes back and we do a play together, he, you know that he knows that's going to be this other experience, and it actually makes it easier for him to kind of take the money and you know write the notes, and he actually has a post-it of the fee that he Puts on his shirt. <laughs> 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 looking at <laughs> <laughs> let, let me also that. Money, money is so great, if, if anybody has some that they'd like to give me, <laughs> but I'm not in theater to make money, I don't know very many people that are, and that's not what keeps me in theater, what keeps me in theater is productions, and if you want to make writers happy, give me productions, like a, I don't know anyone, I I know very few people working.
1: And on that note, <laughs> I think that's an
3: obvious answer. Sir. Yeah, we um, one of the things we've heard a lot too in, in our work the Foundation for various uh is that the best way to find work as a as an early career director is to find playwrights with whom you've established a great relationship, and then if, hopefully, if a theater options for play, for the playwright the playwright will say. Well, I really would like, I want this right. It's not a guarantee, but they'll fight for you. And if a theater comes to you as a director and says, if you got anything? It excites you. You can say, Well, as a matter of fact, there's this hot playwright who I'm working with now, and they've got a play. i really love to explore that. So that comes up a lot in what we hear at the foundation, various, various uh, events that we do. So again, I think it goes to what we said earlier, networking and and developing and building relationships and collaborations with people. The other thing you hear a lot is find your peers, work with your peers, and create relationships with them. Because you will grow together. You will theoretically understand each other, your your own generation, your own voices. Um, So I encourage you all to do that. And that's why I assume you're all here today in the next two days, to build those relationships with one another. That's why I think the fact of the symposium is so great because we do have producers here and writers here. But most of all, I want to thank you guys.
0: Thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union, celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.